there had been abuse in my family, uh, but it was mostly musical in nature. Are you ready to get your world rocked? Ready! Are you ready to get your mind blown? Do it! One, two, three, four! Good things come in small packages, and that includes songs. This episode is dedicated to the short but sweet. I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. And I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. We run down our list of the top under two-minute tunes in rock history. And we'll review the new solo effort from Hold Steady frontman Craig Finn. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions. Time now for some music news. is Tunyards with their 2011 Who Kill, the album that topped the Village Voice, Paz and Jop Critics Poll, the 39th annual poll internationally of more than 700 critics. Bit of an upset, Jim, I have to say. Even though you and I both love this album and both made our top tens, we had Meryl Garbus and Tunyards in the Sound Opinion studio last year to showcase some tunes off this record. But I think the odds-on favorite to lead the critics' poll this year was probably that Boney Vare album. That finished ninth in this year's poll. The one thing we do have to say as we begin to pick apart their top ten is that the poll, which inevitably comes out a few weeks before the Grammy Awards, is probably a more accurate barometer of artistic merit in any given year than the Grammy Awards are. Though Sound Opinions is more accurate still, <laughs> since there are a number of uh, winning entries on the top ten there that we actually panned on this show. I would say an extraordinary number this year, Jim. In their top ten, there are a number of albums, a handful, that we yeah. can say that we just did not like. So it was an interesting disconnect this year. But here for the record is the top ten. Tune Yards with Who Kill at number one. P.J. Harvey with Let England Shake at number two, an album that neither you nor I was particularly fond of. Jay-Z and Kanye West, another album we didn't like that much, with Watch the Throne at number three. Wild Flag, my number one album of the year, uh, at number four in their list. Tom Waits with Bad As Me is number five. Adele with 21 at number six. Interesting connection there because I think she's probably going to sweep the Grammy Awards in a few weeks. Destroyer with Caput at seven. Drake with Take Care at number eight. That Bon Iver record that we talked about at number nine. And bringing up number ten, Shabazz Palaces with Black Up. That 
that's a little bit of I'm Waiting for the Man from the Velvet Underground's debut album, one of the most influential discs, Greg, both of us love it, in rock history, right? And the cover is every bit as iconic as the music, the famous Warhol banana, which in the original issuance on vinyl was peelable. You could peel the sticker off and reveal the naked banana under the clothed banana. The Velvet Underground's main men, John, Kale, and Lou Reed, agree about almost nothing, but they have come together on behalf of the Velvet Underground filing a lawsuit against the estate of Andy Warhol over who owns the banana. Warhol produced the first Velvet Underground album, which everybody agrees, really, he just put his name on it and helped introduce them to the world, but he did do that cover art. The Warhol estate now wants to give the cover art to Apple to use in ad campaigns for the iPad and the iPod. Why Apple wants a banana, I don't know. One other thing that the Velvets have always agreed on is they don't give their music or their images to advertising. They don't like the idea of seeing the banana being used by Apple. They've filed this lawsuit. It's going to be really interesting to see how that turns out. Now, I would say there is no more singularly iconic album cover in rock history. Can you name one? Well, I think the only real close contender for me anyway, Jim, is another Warhol cover, the uh, Sticky Fingers album cover, that zipper that's on the cover of that album. Which was dangerous in vinyl because it would always (laughs) scar the album that was in front of it when you put it in your collection. But let's throw it out to the listeners. What is your choice for the most famous album image of all time? Call the Sound Opinions hotline, 888-859-1800. What we're going to do right here is go back, way back, back into time. When the only people that existed were troglodytes, cavemen, cave women, Neanderthal, troglodytes. Let's take the average caveman at home, listening to his stereo. That is the late, great Jimmy Castor with the song Troglodyte Caveman, a 1972 number six pop hit that sold a million copies. Every time I hear that song or see the video, Jim, it brings a huge smile to my face, a reminder of a time of extreme innocence in the funk world and also incredible beats. Jimmy Castor, the creator of that song, died recently at the age of 71. And many people may not recognize the name because he wasn't a particularly hugely celebrated figure alongside other 70s funk icons like George Clinton or James Brown. But if you pay attention to what's been going on in hip-hop the last 20 or 30 years, this guy is a god. He has been sampled hundreds, if not thousands, of times because of those great records that he released in the 70s. An interesting character. He uh, was a scenester in Upper Manhattan and Harlem in the 60s. He was doing everything from doo-wop to Latin music. Even though he's an African-American, he was uh, creating these kind of crossover type of songs that were repealing uh, to the Latin community. He was even playing bar mitzvahs, doing his mix of <laughs> Latin music, doo-wop, soul, whatever it took to get across, Jimmy Castor would do it. And then in the 70s, who really hit gold with a string of great funk albums. The hit that people remember is Troglodyte, probably, and and he was kind of written off as a novelty because of that song. There was a a follow-up similarly styled, The Birth of Butt Boogie. Again, incredibly hilarious. You can't help but laugh when you listen to it. But also, amid all these kind of pseudo-novelty songs were some 
serious funk classics that, as I said, have been sampled numerous times. The one I'm going to play to pay tribute to Jimmy Castor is called It's Just Begun from 1972, and it is one of the most sampled funk tracks of all time. Everyone from the ultra-magnetic MCs, Lisa Lisa, Jamiroquai, to Fatboy Slim have sampled this song across the decades. Here he is, the late Jimmy Castor, dead at the age of 71, with It's Just Begun on Sound Opinions. That's Jimmy Castor with It's Just Begun on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and today's topic is short but sweet songs. Jim, we've kind of been looking forward to this one for a few weeks because it is an underrated area of pop music, I think. There's a sense that artistic ambition correlates to longer songs, hence the progressive rock era. Nothing wrong with that, but I think you and I have always had a, a sweet spot for these songs that get it said, get it done, get in, get out, and leave us wanting more. Well, rock and roll is the most immediate art form, I have always argued. And being short, coming in with a perfect song under two minutes that has all the elements, you know, the verse, the chorus, the bridge, great lyrics, great music, uh, maybe even a very short solo, mm-hmm. you know, it forces you not to equivocate. We just talked about the Pez and Jop polls. The same reason rock critics love lists. You can't hide behind, well, this has some good elements, some bad elements. No, this was my number one album. Get to the point. Stick your neck out. That's what a great short song is. We've created a specially minted coin for the occasion with two 
famous Little Rockers. One side, Lil Eva. I'm going to take Lil Eva. What about you, Jim? I got Lil Wayne. Okay, the coin is in the air. And oh, it's Eva. All right, Lil Eva. You get Eva. to go first. That means I'm going to start with a song that I think epitomizes the most recent era of short but sweet great songs. And one of the great songwriters in that realm is Jack White of the White Stripes. There's so many songs that he's written that could possibly qualify for this, but I think the most famous one, the one that really put the White Stripes on the map, I think, in 2001, 2002, is this one. Fell in love with a girl from their third album, White Blood Cells. A lot of people probably remember this song for the Michelle Gondry video, the the famous Legos video. It parallels what uh, Jack White was trying to get across in the song. Now, there's a couple elements in this song that I think are important. First of all, I think he's going back to the early kinks as a reference point. His guitar playing reminds me a lot of what Dave Davies was doing on those proto-metal kinks songs like You Really Got Me and All Day and All of the Night. Really basic, really straight to the point, really raw, really rough. And And most under two minutes. Exactly. And what he was going for was that sort of immediacy. It was a four-day recording session for the entire album in Memphis, and he was intentionally going for a very raw, very dashed-off kind of sound. And, and I love the lyrics. He gets straight to the point again, you know, this whole idea of a love affair and the idea of these two clashing notions in his head. These two sides of my brain need to have a meeting. <laughs> and he basically describes those clashing emotions within the space of a few short haiku-like lines. A brilliant example of brevity in songwriting, getting your point across, getting it done, getting in, getting out. The White Stripes fell in love with a girl on Sound Opinions. Okay, that was one minute and 50 seconds of White Stripes goodness on Fell in Love with a Girl. Jim, what do you got for us? Well, my next short but sweet under two-minute pick, Greg, epitomizes, I think, the brilliance of the under two-minute song. And it must be said, we're being very strict about this. Our producers were holding us to the fire. You know, 203, no, too long, right? But you want to talk about an album that is full. Almost every track of the 21, under two minutes, 
every track of the 21 brilliant it was wire's debut in 1977 pink flag this british art punk band set about to craft the perfect punk rock suite where every song flowed into the next and they all were short yet they all were amazingly complex you know bridges versus choruses as i said earlier smart lyrics everything you could possibly need in a song and oh my god the one i'm gonna play is a minute and 23 seconds okay you can't take any much more away and still have a song right and yet a great song it is it's such a great song the countless other bands have stolen and rewritten three girl rumba most notoriously elastica you know elastica built a career and got a big hit with connection out of rewriting this one song Three Girl Rumba is a perfect little sort of pseudo-punk rock rumba about being in a love triangle. It's about infidelity. Think of a number, divide it by two, something is nothing, nothing is nothing. Here's Wire on Sound Opinions. Wire with Three Girl Rumba from the best short but sweet album ever, Pink Flag. We're going to be back with more of our under two-minute gems on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later in the show, Greg and I will review the new solo album from the Hold Steady's Craig Finn.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and we're playing more of our short but sweet songs. Many people have different criterion for what this might involve. You know, it could be interludes on a record, a spoken word piece, a skit on a hip-hop record. Uh Uh-uh. We're looking for actual songs. We're talking about a verse, a chorus, a bridge maybe, guitar solo, a song that works independently and gets it done in less than two minutes. I think the next song that I'm going to play perfectly qualifies for that. To this day, it is still the shortest number one pop song of all time. It is Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs with Stay. Now, some of you may remember this song as it was covered by Jackson Brown in the 70s or maybe the Four Seasons later on in the 60s, but I still think the definitive version is the original one, number one in November of 1960. Maurice Williams was quite a character. He had already written uh, some pretty good songs in the 50s and uh, during the doo-wop era. He had a song called Little Darlin' that was actually stolen from him by a white group, the Diamonds, who cleaned it up. And they tried to do the same thing with Stay. The producers were basically saying, no, no, you got to clean up some of these lyrics. Let's have another smoke. Can't have that line in there. So they basically made him delete some lines from this song in order to make it more palatable for white mainstream America. But enough of the grit translated to make this a really great song, in my opinion. Those insistent commands that the backing course is saying of stay. He's basically begging, pleading with this girl to spend the night with him. And some of the pleas that he's making are almost comical. Your daddy won't mind. Your mommy won't mind. Come on, spend the night with me. And at the bottom of it, you still hear this kind of weird grinding rhythm track underneath these falsetto vocals. Fascinating look at the transition from the doo-wop to the R&B and soul era from Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs Stay on Sound Opinions. Williams and the Zodiacs with Stay on Sound Opinions, a nice, short but sweet choice, GK. I've got another one for you. Nick Drake. Been a real renaissance over the last decade or so of the work of this previously obscure English singer-songwriter from the late 60s, early 70s. His first two albums were wonderful orchestral pop affairs, very dense, very lush, 
But his third album, recorded in 1972, Pink Moon, is something different. It is music that is so minimal, it's almost not there. A little wisp of a guitar, the faint Nick Drake vocal, recorded at a time when he was so depressed, he couldn't stand erect in the recording studio. He was lying on his back on the floor and singing up into a microphone. Road, I think, is the standout song. You used the word haiku earlier. There's only three lines of lyric. You can say the sun is shining if you really want to. I can see the moon, and it seems so clear. I think someone who's depressed talking to someone who isn't. The concluding line, wrapping it all up, I can take a road that'll see me through. Sadly, Drake did not. He, he died of a suicide not long after this recording. But the song, I think, is something magical. Here it is, Road by Nick Drake on Sound Opinions. You can say the sun is shining if you really want to. I can see the moon and it seems so clear. You can take a road that takes you to the stars. No, I can take a road that will see me through. I can take a road that will see me through. was Road from Nick Drake, one of Jim DeRigatis's short but sweet songs, a great pick. Jim, I'm going to stick in a similar kind of semi-tragic vein. I mean, Nick Drake obviously has a sort of a tragic element to him, and this song was written about another tragic figure in music, Jeff Buckley. It was written by Amy Mann from her 2000 record, Bachelor Number no. 2. This was the semi-famous Amy Mann record that she sold from her own website because she couldn't get a record deal at the time. It ended up becoming a big seller and sort of setting the template for artist-released albums for the next decade. This particular song is, as I said, a tribute to Jeff Buckley. They had met, the story goes, in a uh, pub in New York City in the 90s, and it was too loud in there to have a civil conversation, so they ended up passing notes back and forth and sort of became friends, developed this relationship. Amy Mann sort of beats herself up a little bit for not staying in touch with Jeff Buckley as much as she would have wished. When he died in 1997, it was a big shock to the to the music world, of course, to the people that loved him. And Amy Mann was one of those people who was deeply affected by it. Now, the song that she wrote, I think, speaks to what I think is a great example of not overstaying your welcome. When you're writing these kind of tribute songs, it's very easy to get maudlin or overdone or overly sentimental. But in those few short seconds, she gets across exactly what she needed to say with this beautiful backing music. It's a song called Just Like Anyone from Amy Mann on Sound Opinions. So maybe I wasn't that good a friend 
Amy Mann, just like anyone, saying everything there is to say in a minute and 22 seconds. Jim, what do you got next? Greg, I'm going to the 50s now, and, and maybe we should have started there. Because at the birth of rock and roll, the first decade in the 1950s, everything was short and sweet. You know, everything had to be under two minutes, three at the longest, to get on the radio. That was the goal. Uh, not that the best stuff ever really got played. The song that epitomizes 50s brevity to me and accessibility and that period when when diverse musical genres, country, rhythm and blues, country blues, all that stuff was coming together, is the Rocketeens Woohoo. They didn't write the song. This was a 50s group, put it out as a single in 1959 after George Donald McGraw wrote the song. And to me, it's really the epitome of 50s rock because it's built on a 12-bar blues progression. It has no words. It's all about the rhythm, right? And yet the way that these wordless words, these cries of woo-hoo are sung is pure country. And I mean backwoods. I mean Carter family country. I mean howling at the moon and herding the sheep kind of country, right? It's primal. This is just one of the best rock songs ever, and the fact that it's under two minutes is just uh, icing on the cake. This has been appropriated for so many commercials lately, it's not even funny. A big phone service and a car and a beer. There's all sorts of different covers of it. It's been called like the birth of Psycho Billy, especially well-known for that Revillos cover. But everybody and their uncle and the replacements have covered this song. Here's the original by the Rocketeens, Woohoo on Sound Opinions.
That's Woohoo from the Rocketeens, one of Jim DeRogatis' top under two minute tracks. So, what's your favorite under two minute track? Share them on the air by calling 888 859 1800. You can also join in on the conversation at Facebook and Twitter. We're going to be back with more of the short but sweet and a review of the solo debut by Craig Finn. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And this week we are looking at the best short but sweet rock songs in history. Under two-minute gems. Greg, you coach basketball, a sport for tall people, but you've got some good short picks. What's your next one? This next song that I'm going to play was famously covered by a couple of pretty famous groups or artists. Alan Jackson, the great country singer, actually had a huge hit with it. And The Who, it was a centerpiece of their Live at Leeds album. I'm talking about Summertime Blues. And the one I'm going to play is the original version by Eddie Cochran. What's so great about this song is it came at a time when, you know, here rock and roll was relatively in its infancy. Normally these were very idyllic songs about romance, carefree existence, you know, being a teenager, having fun. Eddie Cochran sort of turned that idea on its head. Here's a blue-collar kid who, you know, he wants to go joyriding, but he keeps bumping against these authority figures that are of no use to him. They see him as of no use to them. You know, you got to go to work, kid. Carefree youth running headlong into adult reality. His boss, his parents, even his congressman. So this is a short but sweet song of intense frustration. And you can hear it in that sort of rhythmic drive, not only in Cochran's rhythm guitar, but also the hand claps that sort of serve as a backing, and the great Earl Palmer on drums driving the whole thing along. This is Eddie Cochran with Summertime Blues from 1958 on Sound Opinions. Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. 
Cochran, he's got the summertime blues on Sound Opinions. Jim, what is your next short but sweet song? Well, Greg, so far we have done the folk rock genre, punk rock, funk, rockabilly, all wonderful sources of great short but sweet songs. We haven't talked about power pop. This whole post-Beatles perfect pop song genre of rock music. You know, can we craft the ideal under two minute made for radio epic anthem? How can we do it? Power Pop is lousy with these kind of brilliant songs. My favorite Power Pop band of all time is the Bongos, active in Hoboken, New Jersey in the early 80s. One perfect album, Drums Along the Hudson, some other recordings, but that's the masterpiece. They were friends with Mitch Easter, who would go on, of course, to record R.E.M. and do a lot of great short songs himself. The story was, I think they were hanging out down in the south and there was a a drive-in where you would have to flash the lights of your car when you wanted the car hop to come over, take your order, and then she'd, you know, bring you your food and hang it on the window. Mm -hmm. The real old-fashioned 1950s kind of drive-in. So Richard Barone took a line he saw at the drive-in and another uh, line or two from a piece of packaging on something laying around the car, and he made this perfect pop song that only has three lines that tells the entire story of love, lust, attraction, romance, under two minutes in a perfect pop song by the Bongos. Here they are on Sound Opinions. Flashlights were ready, that's what she said to me. Flashlights were ready, that's what she said to me. Some assembly required, that's what I said to her. Some assembly required, that's what I said to her. Oh, we're gonna glow in the dark.
That's the bongos on Sound Opinions. Greg, you have one final short but sweet track. What do you got? I do, Jim. I wanted to pay tribute a little bit to Janis Joplin, the late, great Janis Joplin, uh, mainly because, you know, she's got this reputation as being somewhat of a damaged, dissolute soul. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but I think when people think about her as a singer, they think about this woman ripping her heart out over some guy who'd done her wrong, and that was certainly justified by a number of the hits. But I think this song shows another side of Janice that maybe people don't appreciate nearly as much. She had a wicked sense of humor, and I think this song really evidences that. It was co-written with poet Michael McClure and Bob Newarth, who was a pal of Bob Dylan's at the time. Joplin got at the idea in this song of skewering not only materialism, but the notion of why people pray. I mean, she, you know, she had this uh, sort of southern feel to a lot of her music, and I think she was steeped in that culture. She understood it. This notion that God was sort of like this Monty Hall figure, and if you prayed to him, you know, you're on, let's make a deal. I'll take the color TV and the night on the town behind door number three. This notion of, you know, I don't want to wait till I get to heaven for salvation. I want a little bit of that here on earth. Mm -hmm. So I think she was kind of, you know, poking fun at all of these notions and having fun with them in this song, sung entirely a cappella. It was recorded on October 1st, 1970, and the reason I bring up the date is that four days later, she died of a heroin overdose. It was one of the last things she ever recorded, and a really fine way to remember her. Janis Joplin with Mercedes-Benz on Sound Opinions. I'd like to do a song of great social and political import. It goes like this. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me? A Mercedes Benz My friends all drive Porsches I must make amends Worked hard all my lifetime No help from my friends So Lord, won't you buy me A Mercedes Benz Oh Lord, won't you buy me A color TV Dialing four dollars is trying to find me. I wait for delivery each day until three. So, oh Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? I'm counting on you, Lord. Please don't let me down. Prove that you love me. And buy the next round. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? Everybody, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. So, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? That's it. <laughs> Janis Joplin with Mercedes-Benz. What is your last short but sweet song, Jim? You know, Greg, for my last pick, I'm going to go a cappella as well. I'm going to go all the way back to what some people consider the first rock artist, uh, also obviously a blues great. I'm talking about Lead Belly. This song, Black Betty, is archetypal blues holler chant. A cappella seems like much too nice a word for what's <laughs> really going on here. 
A lot of people said Lead Belly took it from a fieldwork song holler chant about an 18th century uh, marching cadence about a flintlock musket. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But it's also known that Benjamin Franklin in the 1730s, he, he wrote something called the Drinker's Dictionary, and he referred to getting drunk as having kissed Black Betty. <laughs> right? What a strange phrase. Anyway, Lead Belly makes it his own. It's hypnotic. It's mesmerizing. It has been covered, rewritten, stolen, appropriated, whatever you want to say, <laughs> about a million and one times. I mean, it'd be hard to say Summertime Blues or Black Betty, what's been recycled more. But it just goes to show that short but sweet is timeless, brilliant, and enduring. Here's Lead Belly on Sound Opinions. Oh, Black Betty. Bambalam, oh black bitty, Bambalam, black bitty, black bitty, Bambalam, black bitty, black bitty, Bambalam, jump sturdy, black bitty, Bambalam, jump sturdy, black bitty, Bambalam, oh black bitty, Bambalam, oh black bitty, Bambalam, looky on a black bitty, Bambalam, looky on a black bitty, Bambalam, turn around, black bitty, Bambalam, jump down, black bitty, Bambalam, oh black bitty, Bambalam, oh, black bitty. Bambalam, black bitty had a baby. Bambalam, black bitty had a baby. Bambalam, little thing went crazy. Bambalam, little thing went crazy. Bambalam, oh, black bitty. Bambalam, oh, black bitty. Bambalam, jump steady, black bitty. Bambalam, jump steady, black bitty. Bambalam, look at yonder, black bitty. Bambalam, look at yonder, black bitty. Bambalam, oh, black bitty. Bambalam, oh. Oh, black bitty, Bamalam, little thing went blind. Bamalam, a little thing went blind. Bamalam, a city wasn't none of mine. Bamalam, the city wasn't none of mine. Bamalam, what about a black bitty? Bamalam, what about a black bitty? Bamalam, oh, black bitty. Bamalam, oh, black bitty. Bamalam, a look at the black bitty. Bamalam, jump steady, black bitty. Bamalam, run yon the black bitty. Bamalam, turn around, black bitty. Bamalam, Black Betty, Bamalam, eh, Black Betty, Bamalam, look yonder, Black Betty, Bamalam, run around, Black Betty, Bamalam, jump down, Black Betty, Bamalam, turn around, Black Betty, Bamalam, eh, Black Betty, Bamalam, eh, Black Betty, Bamalam. That's Lead Belly with Black Betty, my last short but sweet pick for this show. To see Greg and my complete list, go to soundopinions.org. By the way that you picked up the phone, I could tell that you weren't going to die. February's got as long as it is wide. I guess that I've been getting pretty good with it. Trying hard not to get too obsessed with it I guess I shouldn't have been surprised That is a little bit of a song called No Future from Craig Finn's first solo album, Clear Heart, Full Eyes. Greg, Craig Finn is in an enviable position right now. After years of toiling away in the indie rock underground with a well-respected but not hugely popular Minneapolis indie rock band, Lifter Puller, he moved to Brooklyn and started The Hold Steady. After five albums, people love this band. There's a huge cult following. They're on the verge of a mainstream breakthrough, a big, bombastic E Street band kind of sound, appropriate because Bruce Springsteen is one of Craig Finn's heroes. In the midst of of their growing momentum, he takes a break from the band, goes down to Austin, and records a solo album. He has said in interviews, 
The Hold Steady is very celebratory music, but I'm human. I don't feel that way all the time indicating he wanted to do something different on this solo record, which I will say uh, confuses me all the time. I always want to read it as clear eyes, full heart, can't lose that mantra from Friday Night Lights. Apparently that's where Finn took his slightly jumbled up title, Clear Heart, Full Eyes. What kind of music outside of the Hold Steady is Craig Finn giving us? Here is a song called No Friend Jesus. Let's take a listen. We'll come back and review the record on Sound Opinions. Everybody's saying that the lights don't shine, but the lights shine down on me. Got a new friend, I'm a new friend, his name is Jesus. I met him in the parking lot, he took me in his car. I got a new friend, I'm a new friend, his name is Jesus. Rode around all afternoon, he sold me his guitar I got a new friend, I'm a new friend, his name is Jesus Now people give me sideways looks when we set up on the strand It's hard to suck with Jesus in your band I wish I was with Jesus when I met you I wish I was with Jesus when I met you I wish I was with Jesus when I met you You'd be so impressed with me You'd give yourself right up to me Everybody's saying that it's way too warm But me, I feel a chill I've got a new friend I'm a new friend's name is Jesus all those creeps came after me, paid off all my bills. Got a new friend, I'm a new friend, his name is Jesus. We drove around all summer long, we parked behind the bars. Got a new friend, I'm a new friend, his name is Jesus. People say we suck at sports, but they don't understand. It's hard to catch with holes right through your hands. Wish I was with Jesus when you love me. Wish I was with Jesus when you love me. Wish I was with Jesus when you love me. I would have been a better me. That much I can guarantee. That's new friend Jesus from Craig Finn, his first solo record, Clear Heart. Full eyes. Well, Jim, you asked the question, what kind of music is it? Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot more country twang in this music. Uh, you hear that pedal steel going through a lot of these songs. Definitely some countrified guitar, more atmospheric, less bombastic. All those elements are in place. It's basically a mood record that's centered around Finn's lyrics. His characters in the Hold Steady songs, I think, are younger. He's looking back at his life when he was a teenager, coming into adulthood, and dealing with those issues of passage. Here, I think he's acting his age. You, you mentioned that he just turned 40. I think a lot of these songs are about middle-aged guys, and, and life has sort of passed them by. They're past their primes. They're living in rented rooms. They're wondering where they're going to go next. In, in some ways, Craig Finn has obviously not had that sort of life, but there's sort of an element of what if. Clearly, the focus here is on those lyrics, and I think when he's funny and, and there, there, there's a sense of bleak humor here, it really works. But I don't think there's enough variety in the music to really justify this as, as a major improvement on anything he's done in the Hold Steady. So I'm going to give him uh, an A-plus for the lyrics, but I think the music kind of let me down, so it's a burn-it record for me. Greg, you know what's inscrutable to me? When an artist has built up the perfect vehicle for his or her musical delivery of their grand 
thematic, lyrical concepts. Why would you go make a solo album? Remember Bruce Springsteen's two post-E Street Band early yeah. 90s solo records, uh, Lucky Town and Human Touch? They were dreadful, right? So here Finn has this perfect vehicle to, to deliver his his shtick, his lyrical shtick, which would have us go Kerouac, Dylan, Springsteen, Craig, right? That's what he wants, okay? I don't know why he steps outside the Hold Steady. I don't think it's as different sounding as you do. I think it's an inferior Hold Steady record musically. Well, we've got Craig Finn's two kinds of lyrical delivery. Number one is, you know, stream of consciousness, torrent of words from the sad sack guy at the end of the bar having a shot and a beer. And number two is the repeated refrain, the repeated refrain, the repeated refrain. And, you know, neither of them are as profound as he would have us believe. And he's only really on when he's being funny, when he says something like, you know, it's hard to suck when Jesus is a member of your band. <laughs> I mean, that, that's great. More of that, please, Craig, and less of everything else. I got to say... I want to like this record because I've come to appreciate the Hold Steady live, but not on album. But I don't like this record at all. It's a trash it record. What do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we have an interview with Blondie's new wave icon, Debbie Harry. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions was produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn with the able assistance of Annie Minoff. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia, he can't come up with a shorter or sweeter song than Inagata de Vida. <laughs> On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hi, my name is Fletcher. I'm calling from Baltimore. Your Jayhawks interview was an, a great, great interview. That band changed my life. When I first heard Waiting for the Sun from Hollywood Town Hall, I was just amazed that music could sound that way. It had been intelligent lyrics having great harmonies, and it literally made me look for lots of other bands, which expanded my horizon from regular, terrible radio. I was waiting for the sun Then I walked on home alone But what I didn't know Was he was waiting for Great show, great interview. Love the Jayhawks. Thanks. Is not lost on me. This is Liz in Chicago. I was calling to comment on the excitement over vinyl, and I just set up my turntable again after like 10 years and got out my records. And it's so satisfying, but one thing that was so great was going record shopping. I felt like a teenager again, standing at the racks, flipping through albums, listening to music just being in the record store. It was so cool and such a visual experience, too. All those album covers are amazing and inexpensive. It's a great thing to have again in my life. Thanks. Go 
Bills on the line, multiplying rhymes and pride bills taken. When it comes to that, you're chicken, I'm shaking bacon. One like Uno, clock this rhyme, cause you know I'm sporting the fade, not I flow, so but the solo. Pick up the wax, put it on your cheap porno grab. You say it's whack, cause your sound is just half. I recommend once again, like the last jam, my voice is on task cam. from Chicago, Illinois. I just like to share some of my thoughts about uh, listening to vinyl at home. I couldn't agree more with you guys. Vinyl has a warm sound quality to it. There's nothing more satisfying than listening to a nice, warm vinyl recording. Kind of like a warm blanket with a glass of scotch. Uh, Love the show, guys. Thanks. Hello, this is Eric from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I'm calling about your question about vinyl records. I do tend to buy vinyl rather than CDs these days, mainly because almost all the new vinyl coming out comes with a download of the album. The other thing I wanted to mention was in December we saw the passing of two musicians who have uh, gone overlooked for far too long. The first was Sean Bonniewell of the 60s band Music Machine. Of course, his uh, classic song, Talk Talk, it was one of the pillars of the Nuggets sound. I won't cry out for justice, admit that I was wrong. I'll stay in hibernation, till the talk subsides to the dawn. The social lives are dead, my name is really mud. I'm up to hearing lies, I guess I'm down to size, to size. The other was Jennifer Murrow of the band The Nuns. The Nuns were a San Francisco punk band in the late 70s, probably most notable for being the first band that Alejandro Escobedo was a member of, and also being one of the two bands that opened for Sex Pistols in their famous last show at Winterland. Anyways, thanks for the show. Take care. messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.